Welcome to the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. Over the next hour, you'll learn what you should expect from your care provider and how to take charge of your care needs. Hear from the experts. Now, here's Renee Balcom. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I am so, so excited to be here today. Uh, This is our first uh, launch uh, with Voice America, and I'm excited to uh, be on board with them and to have everyone, uh, all of our guests here today. I always like to take a minute and um, acknowledge the audience. Um, I I believe so statistically they say that 29% of the US population are providing care or care oversight for their loved ones or their neighbors or their friends and I know that some of our listeners are falling at least a third of you are falling in that category and I just want to recognize you as kind of the unsung heroes if you will of of the care industry and the care business and frankly the care economy so today this is all about you and I hope uh, that you will continue to listen uh, as we uh, progress through the See Differently project and learn and experience new things um, and that we bring new information to you. So um, so welcome and thank you for being here. I also want to introduce Joyce Draper, or Joy, we call her Joy. So Joy is here with me today and she's going to be my co-host. Um, today we're going to just focus on um, the work of healthcare advocacy. So um, so I wanted to make certain uh, Joy is here to prompt me and help me through these questions. So welcome, Joy. <laughs> thank you, Renee. I am so excited to start this new project with you. Um, I... I'm newer to the healthcare industry from the standard of being a healthcare advocate, but I I never understood the dynamics that were involved in it. So today, I would really just love to spend some time with the concepts, with the See Differently project in general, as well as the work of a professional healthcare advocate. Um, I hope that everybody leaves this program with a new perception and understanding of why it's important in the business of healthcare. So, Renee, let's know more a little bit about your background and how you started in this industry. Um, great. Well, thank you, Joy. Um, yeah, just like you said, we will. My hope today is that um, we're going to focus on what is a healthcare advocate, and then also what the concepts are uh, for the See Differently project. So, um, my hope today is that everyone will leave with a little bit of a different opinion. That's our goal: is to open up everyone's minds about um, the different aspects of care, um, why it's important to you. Um, um, what is healthcare advocacy? What the heck is that, right? Um, and then also the business of care. So, so to tell you a little bit about myself, like how did I get here, and why? Why? Um, do I have a chair at this table? I always think about that. Like, how? why have I been accepted and invited into this uh, venue? What have I done to earn this seat? So, so just to give a little bit of background about me, I spent 22 years in Silicon Valley. Uh, Ten of those years was um, as a CEO um, and ran a tech company. Um, it's and it's interesting because I'm sure some of you are thinking like, what has that got to do with care? And and it's interesting because the parallels are really unbelievable. Um, in technology, uh, the technology industry is primarily developed in. Um, uh, 
managed by engineers, and engineers, by their very nature, are very um, usually um, uh, pretty quiet and very withdrawn and very uh, strong analytics. So the, the concern that was happening in technology is the, the people that were running the industries weren't having, weren't able to really communicate what they were building. And so there was a, a big gap in what was being developed in engineering and how to get that into the marketplace. So my role in technology was really to bridge that gap. And in, in as I transitioned over into care, it was a very similar transition. In care, we have our medical professionals and our doctors who are very analytic, and they're not always always really good at translating that information. And we've all had that kind of bad bedside manner from a doctor. So they aren't really good in translating that information. So our work as a healthcare advocate really helps in those translations. So hopefully everybody kind of picks up on those uh, correlations. But the other thing that was very similar in the businesses and the industries is um, technology changes very quickly. Um, it's it's a little bit, can be very siloed at times. And in medicine, although medicine changes slowly, it's also very siloed. So, and and we kind of stack all of these problems on top of each other. So part of the work that I did in Silicon Valley and the work that I do today is really kind of making that, uh, si opening that silo and making it um, sensible and manageable uh, with the consumer. So, so that's, those are the parallels. Um, I also um, want to share with you how I kind of went from technology to um, medicine. Um, I ended up through a, just a series of life events deciding to shift my family, my family, my kids, I'm, I'm a mother of two. Um, my kids are in their 30s now, so they're not kids anymore. They're almost middle-aged. However, and I hope they're listening today, um, but my my focus just started shifting in wanting to have more time with them because at the time they were eight and nine years old, and I just really needed to um, kind of shift my focus of my time with them. So we we found a little business and we moved to Southwest Oregon. If you're not familiar with that area, it's just spectacular, very beautiful. And it's the first community as you leave California and enter Oregon is Curry County, Oregon. So we moved there and um, uh, just again through a series of life events, we happened to move there the Friday before 9-11 and you know of course 9-11 happened and a lot of things changed and uh, the business that we purchased wasn't exactly what we thought it was so so that even changed and just you know, I ended up uh, closing that business and having to get a job, and which was interesting because I hadn't been employed outside of running a business for a very long time. So, so I got my first job at um, that I'd had in many, many years um, at Chase Manhattan Bank, and I have to tell you guys something: the banking industry is very, very regulated, and Silicon Valley was very unregulated <laughs> in how we. Kind Kind of did business. So I did not do well at the bank. In fact, they ended up firing me. So 
So then I had to, and it, Curry County, Oregon doesn't have a lot of options for jobs. So, so then I had to find, you know, a, a, other work. And I found my way into the adult care industry. And I did sales and marketing for this large uh, Fortune 500 company. And, and it was in that world that my mind really started opening up to, to care and the and what was being provided in care, um, how care was actually, especially for our seniors, how we were going to market with that, um, and as a CEO, and I will always be a CEO. Doesn't matter if I work at the bank or where I'm at. I can be at McDonald's and trust me, I'm going to sit there and start trying to figure out how to run the business better. So um, as a CEO, I tend to see everything and look at everything through the lens of a CEO. And I really started analyzing this, you know, adult care industry and realizing, gosh, there's there are things that we need to work on here. <laughs> like there's there's definitely some things that people need to understand better and that we could do better. And so um, I ended up getting fired from that job. Long story. I'm not going to share that with you today. We'll probably get into it over the course of our time together. But got fired from a second job, which was crazy because I got fired from two jobs in a row and I had never been fired before. But, you know, life tends to... Um, uh, throw us lemons. And sometimes if we sit back, life will teach us how to turn those lemons into lemonade. And that's what happened with me. Um, again, I mentioned we were in Curry County, Oregon. There's not a lot of jobs there. So I had to figure out like, what am I going to do? And I had those big um, sticky notes that like they have those notepads, but they have giant ones, right? So I started writing down all of these ideas about what I could do in a business I could do. And they were hanging all over my dining room. And I was trying to figure out like, what are the gaps in the market here in Curry County, Oregon? What can I do? And then one day my phone rang and um, it was a little man. I have to tell you about him. His name was Andy. And Andy was 87 years old and just the best little guy. Um, and he lived alone and he just said, hey, I think I, I, I heard you talk once and I, and I need your help. And he goes, I'm going to pay you. I can pay you. And he said, I need to go to the doctor and I don't feel like they listen to me. I don't feel like they're paying attention to me. And I want you to go with me and help me. And I thought, well, this is odd. This is an odd request. And so I set up a meeting with him and went to his home and sat down with him so I could understand kind of more about what was going on, what he was, what was his issue. And for sure, he had, you know, was definitely not being heard by his doctor, as he had described. And so we set about, I sat down and wrote out like, here's our objectives, and this is what you want from the doctor and uh, set up an appointment and went with, with him to the doctor. And um, we were able to, the doctor was able to understand his uh, obstacles better in trying to live independently as an elder. And, and I was able to understand how to help Andy be compliant with the doctor. And, and the company, Renee and Company, was born at that time. So I went back, started working with Andy. The next thing you know, the doctor's office is calling me, and they're actually referring more patients to me. They're like, hey, we have some other people that we think you can help. And in pretty short order, within
than five years, I had 39 employees uh, working in five counties in Southwest Oregon, including a uh, contract to serve uh, uh, the Oregon Health Plan uh, behavioral health um, recipients. So, uh, so it was a very exciting time. I have to say, I started out in a business that I didn't even know it existed as a business. I started researching, like, what do they even call this, right? Only to discover it's called professional healthcare advocacy. And I thought, you hey. You keep throwing that word, and sorry to interrupt, but you keep throwing that word healthcare advocacy around and, and, and healthcare advocate. We all tend to use it. But what does that mean? What does that actually involve? Well, that's a great question because... Um, as a healthcare advocate, we've been, I've been referred to um, as a lot of things, honestly. I've had, um, <laughs> I've been called an advisor, a part of the care team partner, um, a health uh, navigator, and my most favorite is a hired gun. So, um, and I, I, and I love the hired gun because we were, I was serving a client and we were working in oncology and it was a pretty, uh, the client had a pretty dire um, uh, uh, diagnosis and we needed to bring together all of the specialists that had been working with her and bring in this whole care team. And uh, we entered the room and she was the one that said, introduced herself and said, and here's my hired gun. So, um, so anyway, so, so, but as a healthcare in all seriousness, so what the hired gun does, right? We assist uh, clients in navigating the healthcare system. And we do that through, and the, and kind of whole person care. We do that through a variety of, of um, tasks, you know, we may pick them up for the for a medical appointment. We attend the medical appointment with them. We document the the barriers uh, for success within the home. Help communicate that with the doctor, and then we help the client to be compliant and understand what the doctor's uh, diagnosis and what their treatment plan is. So, um, and we may assist with a variety of other wraparound services. So we may help bring food services in or transport or let's say someone's going in for a surgery and, um, you know, there's there's pre-surgery care and then post-surgery care. And and we help coordinate that and make certain they get what they need within the home as well. So um, our youngest client, the youngest client that we serve is five years old. And the oldest client that we serve is 92, I believe. So, um, so we have a lot and we've got a lot in between those ages and different uh, care that we help provide and help oversee. So how do people hear about you? Where does this come from? Is this just from private referrals or how does this, you said you were referred from doctors to these patients? Um, we actually get referrals from a, a variety of places. Um, when people start hearing, healthcare advocacy has been around for a while, but most people either don't understand or they haven't heard um, about the profession or they don't understand what it's really like. Absolutely. So um, so a lot of it is word of mouth. And I okay. do a lot of public speaking about the profession of healthcare advocacy. Um, and that, and hopefully, and again, part of our show is to enlighten people about the service and about what they can expect um, from healthcare advocacy and all of their providers, what they should expect. But then also, uh, we get a lot of referrals from financial managers and um, 
you know, uh, uh, loved ones, uh, just a variety of ways. Any, every, every one of us knows someone that could use some assistance in the healthcare arena. So um, most of our referrals come through word of mouth. And so what you you're you stated that you you want to elevate healthcare um, with the people. What do you want people to be able to do once they use your services? You know, really, my goal, I have a, a personal goal to elevate uh, people's knowledge about what their rights are within healthcare and how to um, navigate on, on behalf of themselves. There aren't enough healthcare advocates in the marketplace. So one of my goals and one of the very reasons that we're doing this show is to teach people and educate people and empower them uh, with, with knowledge so that they can advocate for themselves and their loved and to be able to be successful as they uh, maneuver the healthcare system, and frankly, all of the care systems. The care continuum is really broad. It's a multi-trillion-dollar industry, and people need to know more about the business of care. I would love to hear more about this. I'm sure that you've got a million stories that you would love to share with us. Why don't we take a quick break? Uh, if that's okay with you, and then we can come back. I would love to hear some of your stories and how you use these abilities and services to to promote this within the groups and the people. And it really seems like it can be useful for every walk of life. Great. Thank you. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The See Differently Project will deliver us out of the echo chamber that we live in and educate and empower our listeners about the business of care. The care industry, from cradle to grave, encompasses a multitude of service providers. Some of these providers must have licenses, and some do not. It depends on the state you reside in. Nonetheless, this multi-trillion dollar industry continues to grow. Money exploited from consumers through this industry in 2022 exceeded $63 billion. Our mission at the See Differently Project is to educate and empower our listeners by bringing guests on who are professional experts in their care field, opening the dialogue, informing our listeners, and answering your questions. You will walk away with a new perspective and empowerment over your care needs. The See Differently Project is hosted by Renee Balcom, the nation's leading healthcare advocate, on Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. I am Joy Draper. We were talking to our host, Renee Balcom, about her background with healthcare advocacy and the program, the See Differently Project, get a better understanding of the medical field and the medical um, business that is dealing, that is controlling all of our lives to a certain extent. Renee, I would love to hear some more information about how you got into this, not just from the CEO going into the healthcare advocacy program, but what really inspired you to continue on with this, not just helping one individual? Um, you know, it's interesting because as I learned more about healthcare advocacy, as I improved in being a healthcare advocate, and I tend to be someone that studies a lot, so I did a really deep dive into what is healthcare advocacy, you know, what are the nuances of it, how can you be good at it, what's the best advocacy practice, what to avoid, you know, um, and I really started putting together kind of a code of conduct and what our mission was going to look like. Um, and I just kept meeting more and more people with the need and um, and really a variety of needs. It was just a fascinating time to me because, um, again, kind of coming out of this ivory tower that I think I was in in Silicon Valley and, and suddenly finding m myself in an environment where I'm really in the trenches with people that have really, really strong medical needs and illness and uh, chronic illness and maybe addictions. I, I just was so compelled to learn more, experience more, and come alongside of people more and try to help them. Um, one of the things that I particularly navigated towards was mental health disease and uh, working in that area. And I had mentioned earlier about uh, Curry County, Oregon being a really small community, and it was a small county. It was so small, we didn't have a mental health department or a public health department in the county. So I was one of the founding directors of the mental health department, which I always say with kind of, you know, a giggle in my voice, to be honest with with you because it's just crazy to me to think about that. No pun intended, by the way. Um, but um, again, learning about the, the systems of mental health and, and how uh, mental health was viewed by medicine, how it was viewed by the court system, how it was viewed um, for supportive services was eye-opening to me. And it was very complicated and very, um, uh, had lots of layers. And I think most of us have no idea the, how layered it is, how complex it is. And yet, most of us know someone, if not ourselves or a loved one, that has been caught up in that system, especially in today's economy, where, where we find we finally have elevated mental health and we're trying to understand it better, understand it better as a society. But what I what I encountered was that um, mental health was separate from physical health. It was separate in how it was being treated. It was separate in how it was being looked at medically. Um, there was this big separation. And in some cases, that's still true. Most people do not realize that if you're, if you're in 
say, a large system, um, say, let's say Kaiser, which is the largest providing system in the state of California. Let's say that you're a Kaiser patient and you go to your primary care doctor and he can see all of your records, but he cannot see on your portal if you're being treated for mental health disease. That information is not available to him. And vice why versa. is that? Because there's a firewall between mental health and and uh, clinical health. And okay. so if and there's and that's due to the Privacy Act that was incorporated. Actually, I think it was there before that. But anyway, I think I think prior to the Privacy Act, we just weren't even registering mental health services. Right. Um, however, unless the patient talks to their primary care doctor about the medications and the services they're getting from their mental health specialist, their psychiatrist or their therapist, that primary care doctor has no knowledge of that. And that's pretty shocking when you think about it. And when you consider the medications that are being prescribed in behavioral health and how it can affect your physical health. I mean, it's pretty shocking. And most patients assume that their primary care doctor is aware of what they're receiving by their, by their psychiatrist. So, so again, all of these nuances just kept leading me deeper into wanting to understand and, and wanting to work with, um, frankly, changing some of this and helping my clients to be able to overcome uh, some of the issues they were experienced through medicine uh, by opening up their understanding of what the limitations have been and why the limitations exist. Um, so, so it's as I worked and as I moved more into uh, working with clients, I found myself really leaning into behavioral health and mental health patients. And I have to tell you, I loved it. I had the opportunity. I've worked with paranoid schizophrenics. I've worked with uh, people with um, multiple personalities, fascinating, fascinating disease. I've even worked with the criminally insane. And um, each and every one of them, in my experience, are human beings that deserve to be understood. They deserve to be uh, treated with dignity and respect, and they deserve to be heard by medicine. And so that just pulled me deeper into the business of healthcare advocacy and an understanding uh, how to help these people. So how do you broach that when you're a healthcare advocate and you enter the room with a doctor and a patient? How do you broach that subject of um, you know, dealing with the other parts that the doctor don't see? And how does the doctor respond to that? Well, um, the doctor, it, it's funny because when I first started, doctors would look and like, who are you? What are you? And we always have a badge, you know, you can, I mean, we, I have our badges made and my badge says I'm a healthcare advocate. And I usually introduce myself to the doctor as a healthcare advocate, but, but to be really honest with you at first, doctors are a little put off by it. They feel a little bit threatened and they think there's somebody taking notes, you know, maybe for a possible litigation. 
I don't know. They've never told me why they're concerned. But, you know, in general, I don't think people want to feel like they're being looked at. Right. So um, so I try to let them know what my role is and why I'm here with my client. I also really believe that the client should lead the way in. I don't I don't want to step in and remove the relationship between the patient and the doctor. That's not my job. My job is to make certain that um, my client is seen and heard by the doctor. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, I had a little little lady. Her her name was Betty Smith. Betty was wonderful. Betty was a World War II veteran, which I loved. She actually was a dental hygienist and worked in the fields in out in combat in World War II, which was just unbelievable, right? Um, when I met Betty, she lived alone. Um, she was ninety two. Um, and had lived independently for quite some time. Her husband had died about six years uh, prior to me meeting her, and she had a neighbor that had heard me speak, and the neighbor had asked me to come and meet Miss Betty. So I sat down with her. She was just wonderful. Um, She was really doing quite well, uh, living on her own. Um, uh, She did have upper respiratory disease, and she was on oxygen. But what I discovered in my initial meeting with Betty was, um, Miss Betty, was that um, she had stopped bathing, uh, taking showers because she had fallen and she was afraid that she would really hurt herself. So she was just kind of doing some self-grooming. So she had stopped taking showers. Um, She wasn't, her house was very tidy and very neat, but she wasn't ambulating very well. And when I started asking her about that uh, and kind of observing her, you could see that it wasn't a hip issue. She was moving pretty well from her hips, but it was more of her feet. So when I started asking her about that, she shared with me that she had not uh, been able to groom her feet uh, for several years. And um, so she had her, her toenails had overgrown, they were very uncomfortable, and they were really starting to create issues for her, as well as calluses on her feet create issues for her in her ability to walk and feel confident in her walking. So I spent time with her. Uh, We talked about going to the doctor and kind of made a list of some of the things I felt we would want to talk about with the doctor and she felt she'd want to talk about. And then she said to me, uh, we started talking about our fees because healthcare advocacy is not paid for by insurance. It is a private pay out of pocket expense. And Miss Betty, you know, said, "I, I can't, I can't afford this, right? So, so I left my information and, um, you know, let her know to, um, that if she changed her mind, I would be available. And I have to tell you, I went into my car and I sat in front of her house and I just started to cry. It just overwhelmed me to think that this woman would not be able to get the care that she needed because of money. I mean, it was just so ridiculous, right? So I went back, knocked on her door, asked her if I could have another minute of her time. And I sat down with her and I said, you know, you served our country and I would like to provide my service to you in exchange for your service. No, 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 I can't do that. And I and it took a minute, but I did persuade her to let me do that. And I and and basically I kind of made her feel bad because I said, why would you deny me the privilege of being able to serve you. Tell me why why you would deny that. And that kind of made her think differently, right? 
And so, so she agreed. We proceeded to set up her appointment. We went to the doctor and, um, and we're sitting with her doctor, young doctor, God bless him. Right. He, I mean, honestly, he just looked like a kid. He was such a young guy. <laughs> and, and most of us have had that experience where the doctor's kind of hiding behind the computer a little bit and that's what he was doing. And so, so number one, I encouraged him to speak with Miss Betty, like talk with her get acquainted with her. And, and so he came out from behind the computer and, you know, greeted her and talked with her and actually took a moment with her. And then we had written down our list and I, and I started going through the list of things that we felt like uh, Betty needed. By the way, she had been a patient of this system for 40 years. So she had been in their system a long time. And I mentioned she had upper respiratory disease. So they were actually having oxygen tanks delivered to her house every other month for years, right? So they were well aware of her. No one had ever called her. No one had ever reached out. No doctor had ever, you know, checked in. No, there was no system, outreach system at all from this medical provider to Miss Betty um, and even checking in on her. So it was it's pretty, pretty fascinating for me that um, we think we've we've all grown up in that age where we think medicine is all about hearts and hands. And one of the things that I want our audience to learn and understand it, it, it is not medicine is not a care system. Westernized medicine is a treatment system. And we have to learn that and we have to understand that. So back to Miss Betty. So we're going through everything doctors back at the computer. And so I start telling him about her feet. So he comes back around, takes her little shoe and her little socks off, looks at her feet and goes, oh, yes. And he goes back to the computer and he starts typing and he says to me, um, um, I need to have a medical reason for referral to podiatry. Now, he had just looked at her feet. He was the doctor in the room. And I looked at him and and I said, okay, how about neuropathy? Because considering her age and her, you know, <laughs> upper respiratory issues, neuropathy would probably be a realistic medical condition for her, right? Okay. So so he gets back up again, comes over, taps her foot, you know, sticks at her foot to see if she's responding to check for neuropathy, comes back, types in neuropathy, and I swear to you, looks up over the computer at me and says, good call. And I thought, doctor. Now, the moral of that story, and the reason that I tell that story, is number one, to to educate our audience about the importance of having another person in the room that can advocate on your behalf, especially if you're of a certain age, or if you have chronic illness, or if you have a terminal illness, it's so, so important to have someone that can hear and listen, and maybe even interject for you. The second thing is that we assume that the doctor is the most intelligent person in the room, and I'm here to tell everyone they are not. They, are, they may be the most educated person in the room, you know, give or take, that may be true. But they are not the most intelligent person in the room about the subject matter because you, the patient, are. You're the most intelligent person in the room. And never, ever, ever give that power away. 
maintain that power, understand who understands you best, and speak and advocate on your own behalf. Whether you're whether you're there for yourself or you're there with a loved one or you are a professional, understand that the person, the patient, has the real answers to what their problems are. Long story short about Miss Betty, we were able to get her all of the referrals she needed. I called this provider's um, uh, social services group, told them all about Miss Betty. They stepped in. I have to give them kudos for that. They stepped in. They wrapped all of these whole, whole person services around her, and she lived another three years very, very successfully. She died around 94, 95 or 96. Um, she actually died during COVID. And... Um, but she lived well and had good care and good health care and care supports for the remainder of her life. So even though my time with her was very short, um, the fact is uh, it was very rewarding for both of us. So That's amazing. I love the fact that the doctor took your, well, diagnosis, for lack of better terms. But do they ever ask you specifically or do they ever disregard the patient and focus on you more intently? Um, they can do that. Um, sometimes they do do that. But, you know, it's up to the advocate to just redirect the energy. The energy respectfully should always, always, always be about the patient. And then the flip side is true, too. Sometimes they ignore me. <laughs> Sometimes they pretend they that pretend we're not do. even sitting there. Like they want to pretend we're not even there. So so you have to kind of interject, right? But um, but yeah, it's it's really an interesting dynamic. And you just have to be comfortable with the fact that everyone in the room are individuals. So well, Renee, let's take a quick break. We've been talking with you about the See Differently Project and your your dynamic background. It's just amazing to me and hearing these stories. And I would love to hear more. So why don't we fall, um, join back in a few moments so we can kind of, I want the other perspective. I want to see, you know, why can't people do this for themselves? Why can't they follow up on their own? Let's. I want to see your perspective on that if you don't. I'm sure you have something that goes along with it, but I would love to hear the stories behind it. Thank you. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, 
voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. So, Joy, I have to say, we I, I, I was just reminded that we're taking calls. So I know that we have some special listeners out there and I want them to call in. So call and ask questions, comments. We're totally open. This is an exchange of information. So we're open to hear from anybody out there that wants to interject. So please, please uh, call in and communicate with us. So. Absolutely. We would love to hear another perspective or even anybody else that has, uh, you know, some questions about what's going on. But until they do, Renee, back to what I was saying, why can't people just do this for themselves? What prevents that from being? Um, I, I think, um, I think that's a great question, first of all. And, and the answer is, some people can, but I have to say, and I, I'm always going to go back to myself. I was at the doctor not long ago. And, um, you know, and I am a professional healthcare advocate. And frankly, I'm a really, really, really good one. Like I am good at what I do. I'm great at what I do. I actually, you know, elevate myself to tell you that I'm probably one of the best, at least in the top 10 in the nation, right? So I go in, I'm having an appointment with my doctor, things are not going as I had hoped, because, you know, I find the doctor to be inept. And, um, so, so I get to my car and I realize how disappointed I am in the time I just spent with that doctor. And for our audience, most of you don't realize, but a doctor, most systems give anywhere between 11 and 13 minutes to the doctor to be in the exam room with you. So, so it's really important to step in and to take charge of what your objective is in that exam room as quickly as you can. And, and listen, when we're sick and we don't feel good and we just want an answer or a solution, we just hope that the doctor can provide that. And I'm here to tell you that nine out of 10 times they can't and they won't. And here's why. Hospitals are companies. I'm going to say that again. Hospitals are companies. And where, whether they're a for-profit or a not-for-profit company, trust me when I tell you their profit and loss reports are monitored and their procedures and protocols are monitored. 
hospitals and medical providers, and that's like, uh, you know, medical clinics, they all have protocols and procedures that must be adhered to. And oftentimes, those procedures and those protocols are in the best interest of the entity, which is the, the provider, not the patient. And that's where we get confused as consumers because we, we think that we're going to go in and we're going to get care. Um, and, and if we don't fall, just like the story I was telling about Miss Betty, if we don't fall into a logical protocol system for that doctor, then we probably will not get the level of care that we aspire to in that appointment. And that's what happened with me that day. I, I wasn't feeling well. I was really looking for a solution. And I, and I did not go in prepared to... Uh, to direct the doctor and to, um, uh, you know, try to encourage the doctor outside of the system that they were working on and working within to look at me as an individual. So, so anyway, so it was very discouraging. Um, the other thing I want people to know is most hospitals, most uh, medical centers and large systems are not run by doctors. You know, we, we assume that the people running those organizations are doctors or have medical degrees, and that's not true at all. Most of them have um, administrative degrees or, or MBAs. They're not, they're not clinicians in any way. They're financial people. So, so that's another thing that I want people to learn from this program is, and we're going to have some specialists come in and share um, uh, their work so that people can understand why those systems are set up the way they are <clears throat> and, and where the system may be lacking in being able to provide you with some of what you need. And we're going to elevate and educate people so they know how to navigate through that. And then another, another thing that... Um, a metric that is managed in most of these systems is beds and heads. How many beds do we have? How many people are in the beds? Each bed represents an amount of money um, on the P&L. And, you know, how many people are in those beds? And how many people are waiting to get in those beds? So, so that's a legitimate um, count and a legitimate metric that is managed in most care settings for uh, whether it's hospitals, clinics, all the way uh, through adult care, um, psychiatric care, beds and heads is counted all the way through those systems. And then last, I want people to learn about the operating system that these uh, providers are working off of. That system is called EPIC, E-P-I-C, and um, I've actually done some training on EPIC because I wanted to understand what the doctors were looking at. And so with EPIC, the doctor is sitting at the computer. If you ever wonder, like, why am I over here and the doctor's over there at the computer? Like, what are they doing? What are they typing? What they're actually typing is they're putting in all of your symptoms into EPIC, and EPIC starts spitting out um, uh, treatment plans to the doctor. So it tells them, um, you know, go, going, going back to Miss Betty, right? The doctor was putting in all of the symptoms that Miss Betty was having and neuropathy came up and the doctor was like, oh my gosh, we're, we got so lucky that Epic recognized neuropathy in her symptoms. So we can now, and only with Epic, if, so if you think you're being treated by your doctor, I'm here to tell you you're not. Everybody wants to talk about 
AI today and chat GPT and that and the effects of that on medicine. We've actually been in a data collection system for many, many years in healthcare, and that system is called Epic. Epic collects all the data on us, and then it gives uh, uh, it it sends information to the doctor on how to treat you. Now, if you want the doctor to step outside of Epic, you have to invite the doctor to do that. And some doctors will and some doctors won't. But, but in general, I want everyone to understand that your treatment plan, your care plan, if you think it's coming from your doctor, you're wrong. It's coming from a database called Epic. And Epic is, is they've been collecting data on us for a long, long time. So how do you step out of that and, and offer them or invite them in to make to outside of Epic? What's your perception on that? Um, so if I have a client, and I, I've had this experience a couple of times where I have a client that is not going to fall within the protocols of Epic. I know okay. based on the information that I have in their disease because they're not they're not you know, in, they're not general diseases, right? So, so I will ask the doctor to step away from Epic. And frankly, I've even asked the doctor to just practice medicine, like, let's just practice medicine. And here's an example. I had a client, uh, he was 87 years old, and he had cancer, and they, they were all ready and anxious to put him through chemo. He even had a portal in. So when I started working with the client, I realized like this guy isn't his quality of life is going to tank through chemo. He will never be the same. And this was a man that was living independently, still driving a car, you know, going to lunch a couple of times a week, enjoying his family and his kids and his grandkids. And the idea of this man spending the remainder of his life, you know, sick and in bed just was so painful to me. So we went back to oncology. You know, the doctor had already determined, along with Epic, had already determined a treatment plan for my client. And I said, doctor, I'd like for you to consider a few things about my client. And so the doctor literally stepped away from the machine and came and sat with us. And I started telling him about my client's life. And I said these important words. And again, write these down, audience, because these are really, really important words in when we are facing a very, very tough diagnosis or a tough treatment plan. And these words are this. Would you put your father through the same treatment plan? And the doctor stopped and looked at me, and he said, can you give me a moment? And he left the room, and he was gone about 10 minutes, and he came back, and he changed the entire treatment plan. So, so again, that message is we have to get the doctors away from Epic and get the doctors to focus on your patient and on your client. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so we changed the entire treatment plan. So what, just because I, I would love to follow through, what, what did he do? What, how did he change it? He actually, as a human aspect, um, he actually went from um, a um, uh, infusion treat, uh, treatment program of chemo and put him on a very a much more expensive protocol, which was an, an oral uh, pill. 
And my client actually lived five more years after that very, very well with a high quality of life. And, and again, my guess is that he would have suffered greatly under straight chemo and radiation and the original uh, treatment plan that the doctor had outlined for him. So, but listen, this is a great segue into talking about the See Differently project because I want to make certain that Absolutely. we do that, right? So for our audience... This, what, what you can expect from us moving forward um, is we're actually bringing in real people. Some of the people that um, I've talked about today, real people that have, have had real medical experiences and how they can, uh, how they learn how to navigate for themselves. So we're going to, we're going to step into that. We're also bringing on professionals um, that can come in and enlighten us about their point of view, um, why they choose to do something. Some of the things that they do, what works and what doesn't work. And an example of that is I have a malpractice attorney that's coming in and he's going to share with us about what malpractice really looks like and how um, how they determine whether or not there is truly a malpractice suit. Um, we the goal for um, the See Differently project is to enlighten, educate, encourage and most of all, empower our audience to be able to go out and be their own best advocate and be an advocate for their loved ones and to really, really be able to to be to make um, educated decisions about their own care and their own health care. So and we're going to we're going to cover the whole care spectrum, as I said before, care. The, con the continuum of care is everything from um, bringing private care providers into your home all the way to post-surgical care and what that actually looks like and all of the providers in the mix. So, And there's a huge, huge host of them. So um, I'm excited about the program. I'm looking forward to what's coming in the future and who's coming to see us. Um, next week, we have a... Uh, a uh, person that was actually a client of mine um, who learned and and took her uh, cancer journey and made some personal decisions about uh, what the best treatment plan would be for herself. And she um, uh, has a great story to tell. And I just want, in her own words, I want her to share with us. So next week, we'll have Christy Brazil on. And then, um, and the last thing that I want to make certain that I leave everyone with is that light, so light, once we, once we're enlightened, once light shines in darkness, the darkness disappears. And our goal in the See Differently project is that we're going to shine light into some of the darkness that is healthcare and some of the darkness is, that's in the business of care so that you can walk away completely in the light and understanding what this really is and what it really looks like and be able to make great decisions for yourself. So I appreciate everyone that's listened today and I pre appreciate some of the questions and I'm excited about uh, where we're going in the future. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Renee. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. We hope we have given you some insight into the business of care, and we hope you are empowered in your own care needs. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.